Good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? How many of you this morning are thankful that we have a champion in Jesus Christ? Amen. Wasn't that an amazing song? I, I tell you, I was so encouraged by that. And I'm just so thankful for uh, our worship team and, and, and all the work that they put in preparing for this this uh, every week, you know, bringing us to a place of just worship and, and, uh, and it's just such an encouraging song as we were singing, just thinking about Jesus being strong in us and, and Jesus being our champion, especially as we consider uh, the testing of our faith, the trials and the circumstances that we go through. It's good to see you here this morning. This morning we're going to continue in our study in James chapter 1 and over the last couple of weeks... We've been really looking at some interesting things. Uh, the first week we talked about really gaining wisdom from God. And if we, if we truly want to understand wisdom, if we truly want to gain wisdom, you know, the Scriptures challenge us to, to turn to, to Him uh, for that strength, for that understanding, for that wisdom. And then this past week we talked about uh, the realities that there exist in our life, uh, dangers uh, as it pertains to the pursuit of money. And so we were looking at that last week and really sort of processing what James was teaching us there. Today we're going to continue in James chapter 1. This, this series is, is really just sort of centered in on, on James chapter 1. That's where we're going to be looking at. And today we're going to be looking at something that I believe is, is very important for us to understand. We live in a world today where, where this issue comes up quite a bit. And in fact, uh, oftentimes I have people who will ask me, Question, questions about this particular issue that we're looking at. Today we're, we're actually talking about the difference between a testing of our faith and temptation. And that's where James is going to carry us as we, as we dive into his word this morning. There's a lot of confusion, I think. Uh, you know, the, the reality is the Bible talks a lot about, uh, about how God may test us uh, in our faith, how he may challenge us. And oftentimes he uses trials or circumstances to do so. He'll, he'll use these difficult situations in our life to sometimes test us. And, and, and we understand that. We get that. You know, we understand that trials are that outward circumstances in our lives that produce inward growth. And so we want to, we want to embrace those circumstances in our life. They, they're, they're difficult, they're hard, they're never easy, those trials in our life. But, but we know that by going through them that God is doing something in us. And so trials are a part of our life. Trials are a part of the Christian walk. But oftentimes, as we get weak in the midst of our trials, as we find ourselves really struggling in the difficult circumstances that we have to face, we, we sometimes find ourselves being tempted to, to sin. We, we find ourselves sometimes being angry toward God or we find ourselves not being able to fully trust in God. Instead of believing in Him and knowing that He is sovereign, that He, is, he has all things in control, you know, we find ourselves wanting to take care of our circumstances ourselves and, and we don't trust God. Or, or, or we, There's just so many different ways that we sort of, we, we fail as believers in the midst of our trials. And oftentimes, as we find ourselves at, I guess maybe over the conviction of maybe sin in our life, we find ourselves really confusing the issue, kind of forgetting that, 
that God may have allowed the trial in our life, the circumstance to take, uh, take an effect in our life, but oftentimes we see it as, as sort of a, a way that God may be tempting us uh, not to sin. He's, he's, in his testing, he's sort of throwing the opportunity for sin in our life, and, and, and we get confused by that. We're going to be looking at this deeper today as we dive into this. Sometimes the conversations that I have with different people go something like this. You know, God, what if, uh, if in this life uh, I find myself just really a total wreck because of my circumstances, and I know that God may be allowing this in my life uh, as, as a bit of a test to my faith, and, I, and, it, and if I, I'm not acting very righteously in the midst of this circumstance, then how is it that I'm to blame? And that's where we oftentimes find ourselves in these difficult situations. In our text here today that we're going to be looking at, James is going to clear this up for us. He, he takes us to a place of really trying to understand the difference between the testing of our faith and the temptations that we face, maybe even in the midst of those trials, those circumstances. What we need to understand, and I think what, we're, what is going to be cleared up in God's Word here this morning is that God may test us but that we have an enemy who tempts us. And that enemy, he knows that we're weak during those times. And so we're going to be looking at this. I think this is going to be hugely important for us. And so I'm excited about digging into this text today and really discovering uh, some truths that I believe will help us all as we continue to walk through this life facing the trials that we often have to face. So let's pray and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for your presence in our life. Father, we thank you that we have a champion and his name is Jesus. Father, we're thankful that when we are weak, he is strong. And Father, we are thankful for the reality that the trials that we face, the, the difficult situations that we are sometimes have to walk through, that God, that those trials will produce in us something that is beneficial for us. Father, none of us like walking through the situations that we face sometimes in this world. But God, we know and we believe and we stand assured of the reality, God, that you are a holy and righteous God who cares deeply for each and every one of your children. And so, Father, I pray that today as we dive into your word, that you would speak deeply into our hearts, that you would help us to, to understand, Lord, that, that blessed is he who stands firm in you in the midst of of some of the hardest things that we will ever face. Father, I recognize today that there are some of us here today that are going through these trials. Maybe for some of us, it's the best times of our life, but for others, we are hitting head-on into those difficult moments of our life. And Father, I pray that you would give those who are facing those trials today, I pray that you would give them strength that you would help them to not be fearful, 
that you would help them to trust in you. God, we thank you for every great blessing that we have. And Lord, we know, God, that you are sufficient. God, we know that you are strong, that you are mighty and wonderful. And God, we praise you for it. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I've titled the message, Stop Blaming God for Your Problems. We're going to be looking at James chapter 12, verse, I mean, excuse me, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. The reason that I, I titled this message, Stop Blaming God for Your Problems, is because as I, as I read this text from God's Word, that seems to be what James is saying. Stop blaming God for your problems. I, I looked at what James was saying here, and that just that thought just sort of just kept coming up over and over and over. As I process what he was writing in this text, and 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 I I, I really I just I, I was amazed by how how James sort of presents this truth to us this morning and the things that he was talking about and the things that he was very much aware of and the things that he wanted us to learn through the reading of this, this letter. When, when I was six years old, I mean, excuse me, not six years old, when I was in sixth grade, I remember this day where my mother at breakfast, she says, you know, I'm going to be late today. I won't be getting home till much later. My, my mother was a, a school teacher and, and she was, she had meetings all day and so she said, it's going to be quite a, a long time before I get home. I mean, it's going to be late. And so she gave instructions to my older sister, Mandy, to, to you know, to, to do some things to kind of get ready, you know, for supper. So when she came in, you know, she could be doing those sorts of things. And to the rest of us kids, she told us, she says, and I want everybody to just kind of stay home today because, because I don't want you out and about while I'm away. And so just stay home, do your homework, do your chores, do whatever it is that you what you need to do, but stay home today. So I go off to school, and as I was at school, my buddies started coming up with this great idea that we should all meet down at the mall after school. And I remember just getting very excited about it, remembering the words of my mom, but, but getting very excited about this gathering that was going to take place. And so, so the, the reality was, after school, I was just real excited to get on my bike and go down there, and my, my mindset was that she will never know because certainly I can get back before she arrives. And, and so I got my bike, and I remember my sister Mandy coming out, and she was like, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, she was the one in charge, right? So she was being the big sister, and she says, what, where are you headed? And I said, I'm going to go to the mall and, and uh, see my friends. And I, I wasn't asking her permission. I was basically telling her that's what she was doing. She's not my mom, and, and, and I wasn't listening to my mom anyway, so it didn't matter. And so I get on my bike, and I take off down the road. It wasn't far to the mall. We lived pretty close. It was probably, I don't know, a mile and a half. And, and I remember, all you do is just go out the, the neighborhood. You turn left on Gentilly Road. I'll never forget the name of this road. And, and just ride straight on down to the mall. It was very easy to get there. And so I got on my bike, and I, I'm just pedaling as hard as I can. And I'm about halfway there on Gentilly Road, and I see our car coming. And there's my mom. 
Things were not going according to plan. And I'll never forget the look on her face as we passed each other on Gentilly Road as we do this right here. You know, I'm pedaling. Well, I'm not pedaling so much anymore. I'm sort of coasting, you know, and I'm, I'm coasting and my heart's beating and we kind of do this to each other <laughs> as we go by. Only my face had a sort of a, a scared look and hers had a very angry look. I remember turning left as quick as I could and cutting through the neighborhood. I thought, boy, if I could just beat her there, maybe I could convince her that that was somebody else. It wasn't me, but, but I didn't know what I was going to say, but I pull into the front yard and I remember she was already there and she was on the front door and like this because she knew that I would be coming back. And, and I remember getting there and, uh, and she says, where were you going? And I said, I was going to the mall to meet up with my friends. She says, you don't remember what I said this morning about staying home and doing your homework and your chores? And I said, well, Mandy let me. <laughs> I mean, she was the one in charge. She knew all about it. You know, you know, since the beginning of time, it seems that humanity has always been sort of tempted with blaming someone else for the things that we do wrong. Have you ever noticed that? We, 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 just, we, we have a term for it today. It's called throwing them under the bus, right? We're not, we're not concerned if the bus crushes them. We just don't want to take the fall. And so, you know, since the beginning of humanity, we've, we've sort of been doing this. James is going to point out that every trial that we go through has a uh, the potential to become, if we're not careful, a, a, a temptation for us. And if we know that God often allows these trials in our life so that we might have a bit of a testing of our faith, then it, it may seem that if temptation comes and we fall victim to the temptation, that maybe somehow that's more God's fault than it is our fault. In fact, we see this in Genesis chapter 3. Most of us know the story of Adam and Eve, and God created man, and then he created woman, and he brought woman to man, and it was there that the, the institution of marriage took place, and, and God had given uh, Adam this man, and then we see the enemy who comes into the garden, this place of perfect fellowship with God, and he comes into the garden, and he tempts them to eat of the fruit which is forbidden. You know the story. And, and, and we also know the story as this, is that when that happens and God confronts them, that, that Adam immediately says what? <laughs> that woman. You remember that? But you see, there's, there's something about that story that maybe you were a bit unaware of, that it's not just Eve that Adam blames there. Look at this passage with me. Before we jump into our text, I want us to look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. This is where God has, has approached Adam and Eve because they have done wrong and, and they have sinned. And he walks into their presence and, and they're naked and ashamed now because of the reality of what's taking place. And God says this. He says, who told you that you were naked? And the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree? whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. And then the man replied, that's Adam, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Did you catch that? 
He said, it was the woman you gave me. You see how that sort of happens? <laughs> I read that, I'm like, dog, brother. <laughs> just throw them under the bus, right? I mean, just don't accept any responsibility for your sin. Just, you know, point to the woman. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, God, is this the way it's going to be? I mean, you, you gave me this, this woman. She was supposed to be my helper, and look at what kind of mess she gave me. But, but you see where Adam, he just sort of carries it a bit further than that. It's not just the woman he blamed. He says, it is the woman whom, God, you gave her to me. And quite often in life, we find ourselves doing that ourselves probably more often than we realize. And so James, he brings this, this text to us and he says, he says, listen, stop blaming God for your problems. And then he says what he says here in this text. Read this with me, if you will, starting with verse 12. The word of God says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of glory, which God has promised to those who love him. He says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, brother, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind be a kind of first fruits of his creation. I wish we had time to really dive into all of this. This is really good, but this is sort of a jet tour through James chapter 1. And so we only really have time this morning to focus on the first parts of what James is saying here, but that's where I really want to sort of drill down here. And what happens is James starts out in this text by revealing really sort of the good news first, okay? He, he presents to us really something that is, is very encouraging for us to understand, something that is very uh, insightful about who God is and, and about who we are as believers in Christ Jesus. And so James starts out by showing us really the blessing of standing firm when we are under fire. And that's what it feels like when we're going through trials, right? It feels as though we're just under, under pressure. We're under fire. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're at a place where we just can hardly handle the pressures of life. This weekend, I was going through a, an old warehouse, kind of digging out some, some stuff that I was wanting to, to get to, and I came across... I came across, I haven't seen one of these in years, a pressure cooker. Have you ever seen one of those? I mean, big, they're heavy, they're thick, and they, they have a lid that locks down on them. I don't, I don't see people really use them too much anymore. I think they're dangerous. They, like, blow up in your face or something. But, 
But anyway, you know, you, you lock the thing down. You have to lock the lid on because you build pressure in there. And sometimes it seems as though life can be like we're just inside of a, a pressure cooker because life can get very difficult, right? It can be hard. And so James, he encourages us with this, this bit of truth here. He, he sort of lays it out there to us in verse 12. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The part that really just resonates with me this morning as I think about this text is, is the first part of this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So James says, listen, you're going to go through very tough times in your life, but as you do, you will be blessed if you stand firm into that. If you hold your ground, if you remain strong, the reality is we know that, that when we are weak, because of who Christ is, when we are weak, he is strong in us. We just sang about him being our champion. And indeed, he is our champion. And so instead of giving in to fear when, when circumstances are difficult, we stand instead brave in the face of, of the trial because we know who Christ is and we know that he is sovereign and that we know he cares deeply for us. And because of all of who he is, we can bravely stand and face the trial that we are facing. We know that we can trust him because he is faithful. How many of you believe this morning that our God is faithful to us? Amen? He is, he is faithful to us. And so in, in the midst of all of that, we can, we can stand firm and we can trust him. And what James says here, he says, man, blessed will you be if you stand firm in the trials that you face. And then he sort of adds this, and so we know that he's really speaking of, of the kind of trials that really test our faith, and that's what this series is about, right, is looking at this, because he says, blessed is the man who remains faithful under trial, for when he has stood the test. You see it there? The test. It's not that God necessarily is taking us through every bad situation that we have, but God certainly allows these to take place in our life, and they do challenge our Faith, but we know that these trials are outward circumstances that produces inward growth. In other words, they're beneficial for us. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says this, We rejoice in our what? Our sufferings. How many of us do that on a regular basis? I we typically, I, I typically don't see that in my life. I don't see it in your life. I mean, typically when we're going through times that we would define as sufferings in our life, many times those things get us down. But, but the Word of God here teaching us that these trials, which could be determined as sufferings, these, these difficult moments in our life, we re, uh, the Word of God says rejoice in those. Why? Because we know that 
these sufferings are going to not just teach us something about God, but they're going to produce something within us. And he goes on to say, Paul, as he's writing the Romans, he says, he says, knowing that the sufferings produce endurance. Endurance, being able to stay the course, to stay the race, to continue in this walk that we have through this life with Christ. And so endurance is something that it produces. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I remember the first time I ever started lifting weights. If you've ever lifted weights or if you've ever gone to the gym or if you've ever, you know, exercised, and <laughs> some of you are like, nope, I have tried to steer clear of that all my life. But if you've ever done that, you've probably heard this saying before, no pain, no gain. How many of you have heard that before? Amen? And it's a reality if you're going to exercise. You see, it used to be that I would put on hundreds of pounds on that, that bar and I would just pump the iron bench press and, and there would be soreness in my chest. Today, I walk around the block and I can't move. But I know no pain, no Boy, you're not, you're not listening this morning. No pain, no, no gain. We grow up hearing that, don't we? We know that to be the reality because I know that walking every day three miles, even though I don't want to, my wife has to talk me into it and, and push me out the door, even though I know I don't want to do that, I know that that's a healthy thing for me to do, right? And that's what the Word of God is saying. You know, these trials, they may be painful on the outside, but the reality is these trials produce in us so much more than we could ever imagine. And so, therefore, the Scripture, and this isn't the only one, but many of them will tell us to rejoice in these, these sufferings. We also see Peter addressing this in 1 Peter 4, in verse 12 and 13. He says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes your way uh, to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Look at this, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says, don't be surprised at these trials. Rejoice in them. Embrace them. Push through them. Lean on Jesus in them. Whatever it takes. John MacArthur, he, he once said this. He says, he says, every difficult thing that comes into my life either strengthens me because I obey God and stay confident in his care and trusting in his power, and so I grow, or I am tempted to doubt God, deny his word, and disobey. Those really are the, the two options, aren't they? When we find ourselves going through the hardest times of our life, we can embrace those hard times and we can say, God, I don't know what it is that you want to teach me, but I know that you exist and I am here to say that I am going to stand firm in this fiery trial because I know that somehow this benefits me greatly. 
That's what the Word is teaching us about the trials in our life. But here's the next thing that James says. You know, because as John MacArthur pointed out here, and as we see in Scripture, that these trials, they do pose a threat because if we're not careful, we will allow an enemy who is intentional about causing us to fail, we will allow him to come in and tempt us, and thus we fall in the midst of our trial. But you see, James wants us to really clear something up here this morning for us. That it's not God who's doing that to us. What God is hoping to do in us is to produce growth, spiritual maturity, endurance, character, all of those things we just looked at. But what the enemy is hoping for us to do is to doubt God, to not trust Him, to sulk, to curse Him in the midst of our trial. And it's in those weak moments that He will come forth to do so. And James says, be careful of that. He says here in verses 13 and 14, he says, let no one who says when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. You know, I was looking at this and really thinking about this, and there's so many questions that pop in our heads when we face struggles and we face trials. There's so many things. You know, there are questions that, that pop in our head like, how can this be my fault that I would sin when God created me this way? I've had people ask me that. How, how can it be my fault? When, when, how, how can I be the one to blame when I fall if God is allowing this circumstance in my life? Is it really our fault when we are weakened by the trials, when we fail instead of standing firm in who Christ is? You see, these are the questions that humanity's been asking all the way back to Adam and Eve. I mean, Adam says, God, you're the one that brought the woman. You're the one who gave her to me. How am I responsible that I have failed this this?" test, if you will, I was tempted. But we all know who tempted, don't we? Scripture's very clear, it wasn't God, it was the serpent. And Adam just refused to own up to his sin. Robert Burns, a famous Scottish poet, he once wrote this in, in trying to, to, to put this point out there. He says this, he says, Thou knowest, talking about God, thou knowest that thou hast formed me with passions and wild and strong, and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. You hear what he says there? He, he says, God, you formed me with these passions that I have. You formed these, these wild passions that, I mean, you created me. And so when I listen to my own passion, when I listen to my own desires, and I find myself in sin, how could I possibly be the one to blame? And James says, be real careful not to allow that to happen in your life. 
because God doesn't take us to a place of temptation. He may test us, but he never takes us to a place of temptation because temptation leads to sin. And that's not God's desire for us. God's word makes it very clear. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? Because God can't be tempted with evil and he himself never tempts anyone. So, so who is responsible when we fall into sin? Who is responsible when we fail to trust? Who is responsible when we fail to, to, to believe? Who is responsible? And, and, and this is where it steps on our toes a little bit. If you've ever read James, you know you need to put on your steel-toed boots before you read this one, right? This is where he takes it, and it becomes very personal. But, but here's where the Word of God takes us here this morning. We see this in verse 13. It says, uh, excuse me, verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Look at this. How? By his own desires. You see what James is doing here is he's saying, be careful because the flesh is deceitful. The heart can deceive us. You know, we, we live in a world where even if we don't blame God, here's another one we like to blame. Well, the devil made me do it. You ever heard that one? We grew up hearing that one too, right? Well, the devil tempts, but we're the one who does it. We're, we, we must take ownership of the sin in our life. And, and this is what, what James is, is, is saying. Be very careful to realize that, 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 that we have an enemy who seeks to destroy us. In fact, 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us of this. It says, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So no doubt, he comes when we are weak, and he tempts when we are weak. But it is us who falls. The devil can't sin for us. It is his desire that we don't trust God. It is his desire that God is not for us. That we would believe such untruth. It is his desire. But what James is saying here is he says, be careful. Jeremiah warned us of this. Jeremiah said in 17 verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, talking about the reality that our own flesh can mislead us. Our own flesh can take us to a place where we refuse to believe and trust in God in the midst of some very difficult times. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what do we do with this? I've got to hurry up here because I'm almost out of time. What do we do with this? How do we ensure that we don't get drawn into... Uh, the, the, the ways of, the, of an enemy instead of leaning and, and persevering in the midst of the trials that we face? How do we, how do we ensure? What are the protective measures that we need to take to ensure that we stand firm in the midst of those trials, that we stand firm in the righteousness of Christ, in His presence we stand firm and, and we don't give in to these things that the, the enemy hopes to destroy us with? How do we ensure that in our life. I want to give you four things real quickly, and just practical things to think about, spiritual things to think about. 
And we've already gone over two, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But the first one is this, recognize the nature of evil. Recognize the nature of evil. Recognize that you have an enemy who wants to destroy your life. My friends, as believers in Christ Jesus, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. I once saw a statistic that of all the evangelical Christians that exist, less than 30% of them believed in the devil. They believed in God, but they didn't believe in a spiritual enemy. Well, if you don't believe in a spiritual enemy, then why would you worry about what he wants to do harmful in your life? And who are you going to blame as you look at what the powers of temptation are in your life? How is it that we can believe in God and yet not believe that there is one who wants to harm us? We are in the midst of a spiritual battle, so let us recognize the nature of evil. Let us understand, here's number two, let us understand the nature of man. That natural man's heart's desire is to sin. We've been doing it since the beginning of our life. The redeemed man, the the man who has been transformed by the power and blood of Jesus Christ, the the one who has been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but he is he is a new creation and he is in pursuit of holiness and righteousness and all of these things. And so his desire is to do God good, to follow after God, but the the man who is dying away, uh, the the old man who is dying and the new man who lives is, is, is literally waging war with each other. That's why we have the tension that exists between us pursuing righteousness and us giving in to sin. So let us understand the nature of man. Number three, let us trust in the nature of God. Let us trust in the nature of of God. I've got to really hurry here. But John 3, 16 and 17, I know this is very familiar to us this morning. This is a very familiar passage. But listen to what John says here in, in, in his gospel. For God so loved the world. How many of you learned this one in, in Sunday school at an early age? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Does that sound like a God who wants to see you fail? Does that sound like a holy and righteous God that that would tempt you in order to test you? That he would lay out the temptation of sin in your life so that you may fall? No, God's word says that God loved us so much. We sang about that earlier in the worship set. I love it. Just God loves us so much. He cares so deeply for us that in while we were yet still sinners, He would send his son Jesus, our champion, he would send his son Jesus to come and to die on the cross, his blood to be spilled for the atonement and the forgiveness of our sin that we may find in him redemption. 
not failure, that we would find in Christ salvation and hope and righteousness. This is the God we serve, amen? This is the God who we serve. And let us understand, let us understand, let us trust in the nature of God. God is love. Would you say that with me this morning? God is love. You were lagging. Let's say that again. God is love. How many of you believe that this morning? God is love. And that he would sacrifice his son on the cross for us. That's not a God who's against us. That is a God who is for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you walk out of here this morning with just one bit of truth, walk out of here, please walk out of here today knowing that God loved you enough that he would send his son to die on the cross, that he would sacrifice his own son for you and for me. If you leave here today with just one truth, leave here with that truth. The fourth thing, and this is where we take the truth and we apply it to our life. Number four, embrace the reality of of the gospel. The gospel is that good news that Jesus died for us. The gospel is the good news of what Christ did for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says this, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I know I'm late. Y'all just going to have to fight through the crowd of the second service. I'm sorry. But the gospel says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. You remember what he says, James says? Blessed is the man who stands firm, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, he died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to our scriptures. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. Let us stop blaming God for the sin in our life. He didn't create you that way so that you could sin with a justification for your sin. 
He created us and then sent his son to die on the cross for the atonement of our sins. Let us believe and trust in his good nature. And let us embrace the truth of the cross. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. Our pastors will be down front. I'll be down here. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning, the desire of your heart is to just be thankful to God for all that he has done. This altar is a great place to come and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for saving me from my sin. Thank you for the atonement that Jesus' blood paid for. Maybe you want to come and speak to one of our pastors this morning because the trials that you face are difficult and you want to stand firm in the midst of your trials. I'll be down here. Linnell will be down here. We're here for you. We're here to pray for you. But let us in this moment, and I know we've gone long, but let us in this moment, let us worship God in spirit and truth. Let us believe in what Christ is doing for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for every good thing that has happened in our life. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Even in the midst of our trials, we have so much to be thankful for. But it seems so easy in the midst of our trials to listen to the lies of an enemy. And we are here today, Father, to worship you and to say that we believe in you and that we trust in you. Help us, God, to reject the lies of one who seeks to destroy us and to lean strong on our champion, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be strong and lean on our champion in the midst of our most difficult times. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus.